You are listening to the Otherworldly Oracle official podcast, a Burning Hallows production. We are your otherworldly hosts, Kitty Fields and Alora Rain. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to hit the subscribe button to receive notifications of future weekly episodes. We invite you to check out our sister podcast, Mamir's Well, where we explore taboo topics in the witchcraft community. And visit AlloraRain.com to grab a tarot reading, numerology, and soul origin profile. Now onto the show. In this episode, we are doing something a little different. We are talking about healing ourselves from a holistic perspective, body, mind, and soul. We will attempt to point out the pros and cons in Western medicine, as well as the benefits and dangers in alternative medicine. Keep in mind, neither Laura nor I are doctors. You should always consult a healthcare professional if you're having health concerns, be they physical, mental, or otherwise. We are not here to tell you what to do with your body. That is your responsibility, not ours. But we are here to openly share our experiences with society's current healing modalities, whether good or bad. And ultimately, our goal is to explore what a happy and safe medium between both traditional and holistic medicines might look like, particularly for the modern witchcraft community. Please be aware we are not speaking for the witchcraft community as a whole, but sharing our own personal opinions. So this one, I feel is going to be a doozy, perhaps. Would you agree? <laughs> I feel like it's going to be a minefield. <laughs> I, yeah, we're, we will do our best. And I don't know if the time that we have will scratch the surface, but we're, like I said, we're going to do our best. We're going to try because I think it's important. We've never really touched on it before. First, I'd like to start out by saying that I personally feel modern medicine is absolutely necessary. It does save lives. It does improve people's lives. So I want everyone to know from the beginning, I personally do indeed believe in science and modern medicine. Although as we go along in some places, it might sound like I don't just refer back to this <laughs> intro. <laughs> and I think that you'll find that when I become a little, I don't want to say pessimistic, but throughout, it might sound like I don't believe in modern medicine. I still do, but that's mainly because this topic is incredibly personal to me as it obviously is for Alora too. Hundo P, Hundo yes. P. So we'll just touch a little bit on our backgrounds here. And essentially our backgrounds are truly the fire that's fueling this episode's passionate discussion. So Alora, <laughs> if you want to talk about your experience a little bit first, however, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, sure. So I don't have any qualifications in <clears throat> modern medicine or westernized modern medicine. However, I have been a lifelong patient <laughs> mm -hmm. of modern medicine. I was born with a congenital heart defect that has required three open heart surgeries, multiple, like I can't even count how many other procedures that required anesthesia, a doctor visits twice a year for the last 38 years. I'm very aware and knowledgeable and educated as far as the area of my particular congenital defect and the, a lot of general medical stuff anyway, because of that. Um, now in alternative medicine, I am an energy healing practitioner and yeah, so I've been doing that, but I, that's like a newer thing for me. I've been doing that now for about a year. Awesome. 
What about you? Being a lifelong patient and going through all of that is, I think, more experience than what some of your specialist doctors probably have. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even tell you how many times I've been told by cardiologists, uh, like, especially if I'm changing cardiologists because I've moved or something like that, they'll ask me, so what, what is it that you have? And I'll just like start spitting it out. And then when I'm done, I've been told, you know, more about your body than 75% of my patients. And I'm like, what, why? Like, you're like, what? So it's, it's very interesting to me because I was very unaware that it's not common for people to be as inquisitive and curious as I am necessarily. Well, that's also a witch trait. <laughs> True. It is. Well, yeah. We're very inquisitive. Just- we want to know why. We want to know, all, I, at least I'm that way too. I, I want to know why, how does it work? Where, like, where is this coming from? What's the origins, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it baffles me that there are people on this planet who have very serious medical conditions who couldn't tell you what's wrong with them. Yeah. That's not good. That's weird to me. <laughs> that's not good. Okay. So what about you, Kitty? So I don't, okay. Personally, I don't have uh, a medical experience as far as being a patient in that regard, but I, I'm an RN. I have mm-hmm. my bachelor's of science and nursing, and I'm also a Reiki level two pr- Uh, practitioner. But more importantly to this episode, I have a kid, I have a child who has uh, physical and learning disabilities. And Mm -hmm. currently, and for many years now, we've been seeking a legitimate diagnosis to which we have still not been granted. So so, um, yeah, we're, you and I are both very passionate about this topic for similar, but also different reasons. Right. So, well, yeah, I mean, you're, Though you're not a lifelong patient, you're the parent of a lifelong patient. And that is something that as an adult, I think I've come to appreciate more than when I was a kid, because now that I am an adult and now that I am involved in children's lives, my, my husband's children, mm-hmm. I can't imagine what it's like to be in your shoes. Like I, I, I would freak out. Like yeah. I'm good at being the, the patient. <laughs> well, I'm not really good at that either, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> that role I'm, I'm very adept at, but I can't imagine, you know, having to be the parent and watching these things happen and feeling very helpless. Yeah. It does feel like that for sure. But I mean, I don't know it, in these ways. And to go back to the Odin episode, I definitely feel like a warrior. <laughs> See, this is what I'm saying. This is where you got to get your berserker on. <laughs> Look, they probably think I'm crazy already because I'm emailing these freaking doctors like every week, dude. Call They're probably them. like, oh, it's her again. Oh, yeah. But the thing is, is and we're going to get into all this, but it's just everything is so everyone is so like, no big deal, you know, like whatever. And you're over here like, no, it is a freaking big deal. Yeah. And to that, I think one of the big pieces of advice I can say and that I've experienced is as a parent, don't ever stop advocating for your kid in a traditional medical setting, because if you don't, nobody's going to nobody. And that's, yeah, that's just the reality. Yeah. So I would not feel bad one teeny bit, annoy them until, until they have to pay attention. Exactly. 
I think we've, we've kind of discussed why this topic is important, but why do you think it's particularly important for witches or magical practitioners? Okay. Well, I think, I think that this topic can reveal some extremes as far as witches and magical practitioners are concerned. Mm -hmm. So I have seen witches and magical practitioners who absolutely distrust modern medicine and won't even hear of going to a doctor or things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I've also met people, magical and witchy practitioners who, not that they don't believe in alternative medicine, but they believe more heavily and readily in Western medicine. Yeah. So I've seen the pendulum swing both ways. And I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle. I agree. hundred percent. Hundo P. Hundo P. So first, why don't we try to define medicine, which is where it gets interesting. But according to the dictionary, medicine is one of two things. It is the science or practice of the diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of disease, or a compound or preparation used for the treatment or prevention of disease, especially a drug or drugs taken by mouth. Sounds basic, but to get a bigger picture, let's also define healing, which is something kind of different when it comes to definition. According to the dictionary, healing is the process of making or becoming sound or healthy again. And also they say tending to heal or therapeutic. I just want to add to that a little bit, especially the definition of medicine. Mm -hmm. So if we take that def that first definition there, the science or practice of the diagnosis, treatment and prevention of disease, uh, this can also be taken in a spiritual context as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, so for example, sometimes the medicine is self-love of a, in a shadow or an emotional issue or something that's going on. So a lot of illness may have an underlying spiritual or emotional, or there's definitely usually a mind body connection or a soul body connection. Absolutely. Which is why you need both. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. Continue. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to point out the differences between the definition of Western medicine and the definition of holistic medicine, which both of these come from WebMD, which I find funny. Hmm. Um, So Western medicine is a system in which medical doctors and other healthcare professionals treat symptoms and diseases using drugs, radiation, and surgery. While holistic medicine is a form of healing that considers the whole person, body, mind, spirit, and emotions in the quest for optimal wellness and health. So there's two major differences here as I see it. One, Western medicine is specifically used to treat symptoms and diseases that have already happened. Mm. And two, Western medicine focuses on the body mainly, whereas holistic medicine seeks to promote health in the body, mind, and soul. I also find it strange that they included drugs, radiation, and surgery. Like I thought that was strange too, but I wanted to, I wanted to put it in there to just kind of jolt this conversation a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's odd. What are they talking about? X-rays? Like, I don't, I mean, I cause X-ray gosh. plus uh, cancer probably. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, radiation is generally only used for cancer. Yeah. 
Agreed. It's just strange. That so, that and we're going to get more into all this, but focusing on the concept of body, mind, and soul, I feel it would behoove witches to see the person holistically as a mirror image of the universe. So the whole concept of as above, so below thing. Mm-hmm. So yes. quoting the Britannica on Da Vinci's concept of this, Leonardo envisaged the great picture chart of the human body he had produced through his anatomical drawings and the Vitruvian man as a cosmographia del minor mondo, which means cosmography of the microcosm. So he believed the workings of the human body to be an analogy in microcosm for the workings of the universe. Hmm. Leonardo wrote, man has been called by the ancients, a lesser world. And indeed the name is well applied because as man is composed of earth, water, air, and fire, this body of the earth is similar. He compared the human skeleton to rocks. Um, he called them the ports of the earth and the expansion of the lungs and breathing to the ebb and flow of the oceans, which I thought was really beautiful. Hmm. It is beautiful. But I mean, with everything that we've gone through as a family, my husband and I often say that the, the human body is definitely a universe in and of itself. Oh, for sure. And when you have um, a disorder or disease or whatever you want to call it, or your child has a disorder, disease, disability, you realize very quickly that things aren't as cut and dry as you think they would be when it comes to medicine. Right. Yeah. I also think that this is particularly true when we're talking, when we are talking about serious medical conditions or something that someone lacks as far as physical ability, mm-hmm. because the body will compensate yes. and accommodate. Yeah. Whether that is in, so for just an example, I don't have an artery in my right arm. And so that should mean that I have no feeling there, right? Should mean I don't have that a, you have no arm, technically. Right. Should mean that I have no arm. Right? Wow. But basically what they did was they cut the artery at the shoulder so they could use that in my actual heart Wow, or something. So I don't have an artery in that arm that works, um, but my arm, the, the veins and other blood vessels compensated. So it works just fine. That is amazing. Yeah. Wow. It's just like the earth, right? When there's, you know... <laughs> As much as I love eco preservation and all of those things, when natural disasters happen, because they naturally occur, the earth knows how to heal itself as well. Definitely. Like the earth will compensate for the loss of trees or the loss of water. It, it just does. I love that. And I agree. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow. This is a great conversation already. All right. Before we get into any negatives of Western and holistic medicines, let's first just explore some of the benefits of both medicine fields. Western medicine pros, antibiotics. Mm. We can debate them, but we definitely have needed them over the years. Yes, agreed. Penicillin was discovered in 1928 by Alexander Fleming and has saved countless lives. Truth. Prior to antibiotics, the child mortality rate was high at 165 deaths per 1,000 children in the year 1900, which I would venture to say it might be even higher. I mean, Mm. I don't know that, but like looking back through family trees and things, children died quite often back then. Fast forward to today, and we now have seven deaths in 1,000 children. So Mm. it's quite a change. In addition, we have sterile and sanitary practices that also save lives and decrease infections. Do you know where that came in? 
the sterile sanitary practices. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as I was taught in nursing school, Florence Nightingale, but I'm sure there was probably something else. <laughs> uh, came in, it started in during the Civil War. Yeah. Okay. They started experimenting with it. Was it Claire from Outlander? Oh, good lo- No. <laughs> No, I just, um, I actually, this is so random, but I took medical, like the history of medicine in the U S that was a class I took in the university. That's pretty cool. So that's how I just know that. But anyway, nursing school was always pumped up to Florence Nightingale. I mean, it might've come about before her, but she really, uh, drove it home. Also, in addition, we have skilled surgery to remove cancer or diseased organs to uh, perform transplants that save lives. Also, when people are severely injured due to accidents, et cetera, we have the ability to most often save these people, save their organs in some way or another because of Western medicine. So all these things are very good things, right? <laughs> and there's been, you know, huge advancements made in Western medicine since the time when people bled the disease out of one another mm. or used leeches to suck impurities out. Mm. You know what? <laughs> what? Just backing up to Florence Nightingale for a second. She was pre-Civil War, but she was also, was she in the U.S.? No, I think it was England, but I thought that this was after the Civil War. I thought she was like late 1800s, early 1900s. Maybe. I don't know. Hold on. So hmm, we could both be right. <laughs> I think it's both. Definitely England. Yeah. It's that whole time period. Like she was born in the, uh, I don't know. She was born in the mid 1800s. No, early 1800s, but she lived to 1910. So, okay. Yeah. So it was probably around the same time. Yeah, definitely. But if she was in England as well, uh, we're talking about two different continents. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. I'm just stuck on Florence because that's what I, we were really honed in on in nursing school. She's like a major nursing hero. Well, yeah, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Holistic medicine pros. Yes. Let's talk about those. Well, I think the entire person is being considered, not just the symptoms. True. Which also means you're getting to the root of the problem. You're not just slapping a Band-Aid on the issue. You're not just treating the symptoms. Right. So often holistic doctors use a natural approach to, or at least include it or consider natural remedies and options in the plan for the patient. And Mm. there's less of a focus on pharmaceuticals, um, but more specifically, and not that I'm fully against it, but less on opiate usage, Um, not necessarily usage, but just the dependence on it, I guess we should say, Mm. you know, there's also a little more of a suggestion of alternative pain relief modalities. Right. So I think if you want to find someone who's a little more holistically approached, you have to look for doctors that have a DO behind their name. Mm. This typically means they have studied osteopathic medicine, which is a holistic approach as part of their schooling. Yeah. And I will say this is something that is starkly different between the U.S. and Australia. Over here, holistic practitioners are very popular. And in fact, they're naturopaths. Uh, And in fact, a lot of people go to naturopaths for like healthcare maintenance Mm-hmm. and only see doctors when there's like, or Western medicine doctors when it's a major, major, major issue. Well, that kind of sounds like a good thing. Like, seems oh like yeah. A bit of a balance. Yeah. 
Yeah, I definitely think that in this arena where we're talking about a balance between holistic and Western medicine, I think Australia's world's ahead of the U.S. there. Sounds like it. Because it's it's much more of a preventative culture versus a reactive culture. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we're about to talk about. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, prevention of disease. I wanted to tackle the first issue by referring back to the first definition of medicine, specifically the part where it says prevention of disease Right, is an issue with a large majority of modern medicine, at least in the United States. There's not enough focus on preventative methods. I would agree. Now there's a lot of disorders and conditions within the body that can't be prevented. Things you're born with, for instance, as we both know, and also things that are results of our environment in which we might not be able to change or help in our personal lives. I don't know. For example, this is just a random example, a child living in a city with polluted air that makes him sick. Obviously he has no way to prevent this from happening. Right. Oh, I was just going to say, or like kids who don't have access to clean water. Exactly. Yeah. How are they supposed to help that? Right. Or if you're born with a condition or a disorder, you know, all those things can't be prevented, but are people truly trying to prevent disease and stay healthy? Whose fault is this attitude towards health and well-being? Is it society as a whole or is it down to the individual? Mm, Well, I think, I think it's a whole cultural thing. I think it's a cultural attitude. So in the U S the U S culture is very much, well, okay. I'm going to speak from when I left there. I don't know about today, but, and the way I was raised, it was very much, you live to work and you don't take a sick day. You like, you, you just don't. And so you basically work yourself into sickness Mm, I will agree with you to a certain extent, but then you have the people that are the direct opposite of that. Mm. Like I said, I'm just referring to the U.S. when I left (laughs) and the way that I was raised. Yeah, I'm going to say that if you're there are families and probably whole regions of people that are like that. But there's also the people that (laughs) will take more than a sick day. And it, I don't want to say there's lazy people, but anyway, I guess well, it's, a, it's a work ethic thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can make your sick, yourself sick either way, either you're working so much that you're, you're working yourself sick. Well, like into the ground because you don't have time to do anything else. Of course. Yeah. But then there's also the people that don't want to work at all. And they're making their, themselves sick by being so lazy that they don't do anything. True. And unfortunately my time, I, I haven't, I've, I spent about three and a half years as a nurse in the hospital. And just those years taught me that there's a lot of people, at least in my local area that I can speak to who are not trying to prevent disease. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are not workaholics. They're the opposite. They don't want to do anything. They don't want to prevent themselves from getting a disease. They, They just don't care. And it's sad, but it's true. Um, Yeah. But does that go back to the larger, what we were talking about earlier, where the U S as a whole is a reactive culture. Absolutely. Versus a proactive culture. Yeah. There's a lot of different factors in this, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's, you know, we can do whatever we want today because tomorrow we'll just take a medicine and it'll be okay. Right. Mm. So for example, just from my experience, 
I've known COPD patients who are, you know, whatever stage they're in, who Mm. are told not to smoke and they continue to smoke a pack a day. They're in the hospital dying from, you know, COPD and they're still smoking. And I guess at that point it's like effort, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's my, I was just going to say, like, I have family members who have COPD and who still smoke, but their attitude is like, well, the damage is already done. So what, what but there's typically stages of it. So at some point you're coughing and someone tells you, you have emphysema or you have COPD Mm. and you're given a chance. Yeah. But you, but emphysema is not curable, right? Yeah. Emphysema is the, is the precursor to COPD. Usually I'm confused. Why? Uh, no, I just thought that they were separate diseases. Okay. So COPD is typically a couple different lung diseases together. Emphysema being one of them. Hmm. COPD is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And usually emphysema is like I said, a precursor to that. Typically before someone's diagnosed Mm. with COPD, they have emphysema or there's like a couple other respiratory diseases that go along with it. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Can emphysema kill you by itself? No, not usually. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Usually it progresses and then it becomes COPD. Okay. Continue. So yeah. Anyway, these people are still smoking and they, you know, I I get at the end, it's like, screw it. (laughs) I'll just smoke some more. Right. But if you're given a chance, like why I keep doing it? True. Diabetics type two who continue to eat poorly and not exercise. Mm -hmm. I have family members that have died because they chose not, you know, I I could go on and on dear family members that I love very much who were were diabetics, who were told if you eat better and you exercise, you'll, you'll be okay. But they didn't, Mm. I could go on and on with examples like this, but the, my point is my experience where I've been, like when I was in the hospital working, I would say 85, 90% of the patients were like this. Mm. And then there was a small statistic of people who were in there because they had something random happen, you know, otherwise mm. it's almost like people are making themselves sick or continually, you know, can let it, allowing themselves to be sick. Mm. It's sad. <laughs> it sucks. Yes. We'll, we'll talk about some of those things when we get to the cons. Wait, aren't we in the cons? We're in the cons. Are we in the cons? Yes, okay. Definitely. <laughs> what really sucks too is when you have a chronic condition, which causes multiple issues within the body. Yes. So just as an example, um, let's say that because of a condition you were born with, it affects your liver and you have liver disease, but you know, people who drink heavily and they have no liver disease Mm -hmm. and you are told because of the way that Western medicine worked, that if it came down to a liver transplant between the person that has the ongoing condition and the alcoholic, that Western medicine would choose to save the alcoholic because they could remove the irritant causing the liver disease. Whereas the person who has the ongoing condition can't. That is a real scenario. And that is exactly how Western medicine works. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah, I believe it. Yep. And very disheartening, I think. It is. I agree. Okay. I actually have a a family member who is an alcoholic who was given a brand new liver and continues to uh, do things to damage it. So... (laughs) 
Right. See, and that's, uh, yeah, that's like the thing, like that person could remove the irritants, but will they do the same thing once they get a new lease on life? Oh, he doesn't. Yeah. He'll continue doing what he's always done. So, (sighs) right. I know. Sorry, y'all. We said this was heavy. (laughs) And also, uh, I don't think that a lot of people know this, but organ transplants, they're not lifelong. They don't last forever. Okay. Well, I don't know. Most people, I I don't know if most people know that because I think the general population just thinks like, if you have an organ transplant, you're good to go till, you know, your old age and pass away natural causes. I mean, I guess I didn't even know that because we did transplants on the floor and uh, really, and I so, was offered. I was I, I was offered a heart transplant when I was 28. They gave me the option of a heart surgery or a heart transplant, and the doctor told me he said I can give you 20 to 40 years that are good, or I can give you 10 really great years. And that'll be it. And I was like, what? And he explained to me, he said, I can offer you a a whole new heart. Uh, You, you know, you can get a transplant, but heart transplants only last 10 years. I was going to say, I wonder if this has to do with the organ. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause kidney transplants last longer than that, but there's so much to it that people don't know. You have to take meds in order to make Mm. sure that your body accepts the organ and yeah. yeah, because your body will see it as a foreign object and try to spit it out. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like an allergy, almost like an allergic reaction. Yeah. Holistic medicine, prevention of disease and the dangers go. Okay. What I like about the goal of holistic medicine is that it's specifically trying to prevent disease and, or seeking to heal oneself wholly rather than just suppressing symptoms. Right. Mm. However, there are dangers in holistic medicine. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, Oh, holistic medicine is always the way to go. You have to really be diligent who you're seeing and who you're trusting, and you have to be in control of your own healthcare. I can't say that enough. Mm. So I've seen a holistic medicine become dangerous depending on the practitioner and his or her methods. It be- can become a little hokey and mm. sometimes downright dangerous. A couple examples. I have a friend who was seeing a holistic doctor to help improve her health. She really didn't have a medical history, but the doctor prescribed her a regimen of oils to help prevent any disease. And this was an oil that was a combination of, of uh, different oils that she was supposed to take internally that led mm. her to breaking out in welts. on the bottoms of her feet. And then when, you know, she said that she was having an allergic reaction to it, he told her to keep taking it because it was the body's way of clearing out the toxins. (laughs) No. Right. (laughs) Just no. Like if you didn't have welts before and you'd taken some oils and now you have welts, it's not the toxins coming out. Maybe it is. I don't know, but this is just a no. Like, obviously it's not good for you. (laughs) Cause and effect people cause and effect. Right. (laughs) Secondly, I've also known people who put all of their trust in energy healing and herbalist methods when it comes to serious illnesses like cancer. Mm, Yeah. Only to delay medical treatment. And ultimately it didn't turn out well. Yeah. So I know that there's a lot of personal perspective on this. It's going to be what's right for you as an individual, but just know that no doctor or healer is perfect. And like I said, you have to be in control of your own health because no one else will be. True. You cannot put all your trust in a specific doctor or specialist. Yeah. I think if I could give one piece of advice to everyone, as far as taking control of your own medical treatment, I ask questions, ask all the questions, ask every question. Like you just have to. 
<sighs> What's frustrating about it is though, it's like when, and you know, you just said this from the beginning that you know more about your body and your illnesses than some of the doctors do. Mm-hmm. Right. It's frustrating when you're, <laughs> when you're talking to these doctors and you realize that you know more than them. And I don't mean to sound conceited. It's not that, but it's just like, it's just frustrating. Well, we, you and I, well, your kid and me <laughs> have, have a little something in common, uh, yeah. though you are still searching for answers. I, First of all, the doctor said when I was a kid, when I was born actually, and that I would never make it past the age of 13. Yeah. So I was supposed to be dead a long time ago. And had I been born 10 years earlier than I was, they wouldn't have been able to save me at all because the surgery that actually got me into adulthood had only been practiced for 10 years at that point. Mm-hmm. So when I was growing up, I was very much a research subject. A lot of times I've been in so many medical studies. I can't even count wow. um, everything from like varicose vein studies to exercise studies, all kinds of studies, uh, because the condition that I have, the surgeries that I've had as well, it's kind of like, I'm the first generation to survive to be this old. Wow. That's crazy with corrective surgery. So when they tell me things that might happen or things they think are going to happen or what the research says, I kind of take it with a grain of salt because they don't know. No, they don't. They have no idea. Absolutely. Right. Yep. (laughs) So, and it, I mean, it can be frustrating, right? Because you're like, well, you're the doctor. You're supposed to know what's coming up. But at the same time, it's, I guess it's just the nature of the beast for me because I'm the first. It's not just you. (laughs) Well, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think, um, again, we were talking about the body being its own universe, right? Mm. We can pretend like we know everything there is to know about the human body. We really don't. Right. Like at all. (laughs) That is something I've learned. And like the things they told me growing up about what life would be like as an adult. Yeah. Some of that was all wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And quite frankly, they also told my parents that I would be short. I would never weigh more than a hundred pounds and I would be mentally slow in school. That's nice. Yeah. Well, I grew up to be five foot seven. I weigh somewhere in the neighborhood of 130 something pounds. And I graduated from the top of my university. Like I was in the top 2% of my class. Yeah. So there you go. They don't know. They don't know. They really don't. (laughs) They're guessing. They're absolutely guessing. They're practicing medicine. Mm. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't trust any doctor. It just means don't take what they say as absolute truth or certainty or exactly, you know, because medicine, Western medicine, I have found is not certain at all. And that can actually be really inspiring when you're in a situation where there is a serious medical condition and it doesn't mean don't get treated. It just means, you know, don't fall into abysmal depression because a doctor's told you that this is absolutely going to be the case because they don't know. <laughs> no, they don't. And I had a nurse tell me when, was it a nurse or a doctor? No, it was my doctor. After my last surgery, he said, your state of mind 
is like 75% of when you'll get better, how you'll get better, how fast you'll get better. Like state of mind is a big part of healing period. Definitely. I do. I do believe that. Yeah. Okay. So yes, returning to the definitions from the beginning, let's take some time to focus on the definition of healing. Healing is the act of becoming healthy or whole again. This obviously means that there's something in disorder going on in your body, mind, or spirit. And to heal means you're taking the action to bring your entire being back into alignment. Mm. This seems in stark contrast to the definition of medicine, which states to just treat the symptoms and the diseases, to just treat them, not to cure them. I think Mm. a lot of folks don't realize the key words here are treat versus cure. Right. So to heal or to cure goes beyond masking symptoms. It essentially means to get to the root or the cause of the problem. If we can find the root of the problem, we can often figure out how to heal it. Sometimes we might not be able to, but in these instances, we can at least understand our condition more entirely and how to best live with it. Mm. So why would witches be concerned with healing? Why are witches called on to heal others in your opinion? I think in order to access other realms of consciousness, there's a big benefit to being aligned, Mm -hmm. holistically aligned. So physical health, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. And I think, why do I think witches are called to heal others? A lot of times, or a lot of, a lot of magical practitioners I know are ones who have, or are wounded healers. So they've had to heal themselves. And so it's kind of this initiation process. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm level. Mm-hmm. So, and I think when you can access different realms of, of being and consciousness and other worlds and you've had to walk through the fire, so to speak. Yeah. I think you're uniquely aligned to help other people heal. I agree. Okay. We're going to go into some of the alternative preventative and healing modalities. Keeping in mind, we're breaking these down by body, mind, and soul, but they all kind of inevitably cross over one another. Right. So with the body, nutrition is obviously a big thing. A lot of people forget for many people, food is medicine. It can harm or heal. Mm. And this is particularly true with my kiddo. He recently was put on a nutrition plan and to talk about a huge difference in a child. I I can't even begin to explain how much energy and how happy he is now with the different, just different protein and carb intake from before. Mm. So with food, like, I don't think you have to be perfect, but you should be mindful. And with some people that have specific disorders, it it is really a medicine, right? Right. So I can't go ahead. I was just going to say, I can't attest to that because I have the worst diet on the planet. Like I said, you don't have to be perfect and everybody's different, right? Yeah. But like for my son, he has an endocrine disorder right. that is yet to be completely diagnosed, but changing up his diet, taking out refined sugars and increasing mm. protein and complex carbs, according to a, a certified dietitian. And literally in the past month, it's been like a different child, mm. like That's mentally, so- physically, emotionally. And not to say like, I do, there are things that I lack that I can't get by eating. Like I should be able to, but it's not really working out. So I'm going to have to just get it injected. (laughs) I gotcha. (laughs) Which is, I mean, for everybody listening, it's just iron, but for some reason I'm anemic and it doesn't matter what I eat. And I eat a lot of 
meat, which is where you get iron from. Of course. But um, well, for some reason, I just can't retain it. Some people, it's a hereditary thing too. Mm, yeah, it could be. Or it's elemental. Okay. So <laughs> uh, movement. People weren't made to be sedentary. We're supposed to move. Moving mm. its energy flowing in the body, mind, and spirit. You don't have to exercise to the extreme, but find something you enjoy doing. Walking, dancing, mm. swimming, yoga, riding a bike, whatever. Yes, girl. I like dancing by myself. Uh, I used to do yoga a lot as well. And actually my cardiologist, when they found out that I was doing yoga, they're like, that is the best thing you could be doing for your heart. Hands down. That's awesome. Yeah. I do yoga once a week, but I'm not real big into it, but I do like it. Well, this was back when I, cause I did, um, there's this, it's called Iyengar and it's specifically for older people and people with physical disability. because it focuses more on strength and stamina more than it focuses on cardio. So it, it didn't stress my, it wasn't cardio intensive Mm -hmm. that way, but it was still movement and it was providing muscle and strength. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah. I wish there was a studio around here for it, but I would get right back into it if there was. Definitely. Okay. Herbal remedies versus Western pharmaceuticals. I believe that a combination of both can work for most individuals, depending on the situation and the individual, of course. Mm. I think they both have their place. They can both be beneficial, but they can also be dangerous depending on the amount and how it's being used. Mm. And if you're prescribed any Western medications, you definitely want to disclose that. Yes. Because they can interact. Oh, definitely. Um, and not so, in a good way. And you could even just be on one medication and it could affect you negatively. So right. story for years, I suffered with chronic UTIs. I was diagnosed with interstitial cystitis and I often sent home even when I actually had an infection, <laughs> mm. which, and which, I mean, it literally affected every aspect of my life, my relationship, um, my self-esteem, just very painful. So I decided to see a urogynecologist. She put me on preventative antibiotics to be taken after intercourse a year and a half into this treatment plan. And I got really sick. I had bruises literally all over my legs. Like you could barely see the regular skin on my legs that Mm. bad joint aches, vomiting. I was really ill and went to the ER and no one could tell me what was wrong with me. Mm. Went to my doctor. She ran some blood work. She said, take a vitamin B supplement because you're a little low on vitamin B. (laughs) So Mm. it turns out I was having an extreme allergic reaction to the sulfa that I had been on because it had built up in my body. Mm. They were supposed to be having me take uh, blood work every six months to make sure that it wasn't getting to a toxic level, Mm. but they did not do that. And I kept taking it. And so anyway, after all this, I got off of it, figured out what was going on with me. I decided to do the natural route completely. And I just started drinking a lot of water. I would take D-mannose powder twice a day. And if I felt like I had a UTI coming on, I would use uh, it's called Uva Ursi. It's also called bear berry. Mm. Treat it. Yeah. And I'm pretty much good now. <laughs> I don't have the problem anymore. That's awesome. And I'm not killing myself with an antibiotic. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that's one of the main issues with antibiotics is they're so overused mm-hmm. that we become resistant. Yes. And I actually had a, a nurse practitioner. I tried to tell her, she's like, well, what are you allergic to? I said, sulfa. I told her the story. She's like, well, you just became resistant to it. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. <laughs> like you can also build up uh, an allergy 
to it as well. Mm. And it can cause some serious issues, but yeah, absolutely. The resistance is there, but some people it's like, it can build up to a toxic level and yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the same. Uh, if you've listened to some of our other podcasts, you'll know that from the time I was born until the age of 16, I was on a medication that was actually made from foxglove. Mm-hmm. It's called digoxin. Yep. Um, and they actually, they had to increase that medicine at one point. Well, when I was 16, I threw it away. And I remember my, my parents were so mad and I was like, well, I don't care what you say. I'm not taking it. And then I had to go back on it for a small stint in my early twenties, but it kind of freaked me out because the doctors were like, so we're going to put you back on this and we're going to increase the dosage because you're having some arrhythmia, blah, blah, blah. And, um, by the way, if everything looks yellow, you need to come to the emergency room. And I'm like, yellow, what are, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? Yep. And they're like, well, that means you've overdosed. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, Crazy. Um, okay. But turns out they actually nowadays, they try not to hand out that medicine too much because it turns out it's not very good for <laughs> what they were using it for. Yeah. What I remember I had very few patients that we're taking that. But when they, when I did have to give it to them, I had to listen to their heart rate for a full minute mm-hmm. to make sure. Yeah. It's pretty powerful stuff. And mm-hmm. knowing that it's made from a toxic plant, right? <laughs> Cause a lot of times, I mean, the difference between medicine and poison is the dose, isn't it? Yes. And yeah, I mean, the problem with herbal remedies is that not a lot of people know how to properly use herbs right to heal themselves or others. It truly is an art form. And I think, um, you know, well, obviously many of our modern medications are made from plants. People forget this. Mm. And we're also taught today that herbs are dangerous. If you Google pretty much any herb, the first page that pops up will be WebMD Mm. warning against using said herb. Yeah. Got ya. So, uh, you know, I feel like there's a little bit of a conspiracy going on here. Like they don't, want us to take the herbs, but like some of these herbs that they're saying not to take, they use it to make medicine. It's just all control, right? Yes. (laughs) I agree. Because people don't know how to use them correctly in a way. (laughs) Well, whenever I have wanted to take herbal medicine, like as a, as medicine, I definitely always consult people that I know are actual herbalists, like that have a lot of experience in herbal medication. Right. That's not, that's not something I would just willy nilly involve myself with. Yes. Agreed. Okay. Acupuncture and acupressure. I haven't done those, but apparently some people swear by it. I swear by acupuncture. Acupuncture is probably one of the only things. And I think it has to do with the fact that I mean, I don't know. I don't really know how it works, but with my anxiety, like if it's really bad or I have done acupuncture enough times to know that it is excellent for anxiety. Like literally you get it done. It takes about an hour afterwards. You feel like, (sighs) yeah, (laughs) it just, I don't know why it works. And I want to say that it probably has something to do with resetting your central nervous system. Mm. Uh, But I'm not sure. But I'm telling you, it works. Reiki is really good for that too. Mm -hmm. Anxiety. Okay. So for the mind, uh, healing, meditation, Ki Jong, is that how you say it? Ki Gong. 
Qigong, thank you. Martial arts, psychotherapy and counseling, of course, support groups, art therapy, and mindfulness are all helpful. Meditation is also good for physical healing. Yes. And like we said before, like a lot of this crosses over, right? Yes. So even though I classify it as like mind, it's also very good for your body and your soul. Okay. So for the soul energy healing, we mentioned Reiki before. Yes. Seek out a qualified Reiki master or practitioner, or you can become attuned yourself. Yep. Or both. Okay. Light therapy, particularly if you're in a place where you don't get a lot of sun, or if you have a medical Mm -hmm. condition that doesn't allow for it, you can consult with a healthcare provider to actually seek out light therapy. This is the idea we need vitamin D, which the sun provides naturally when we don't get it, health problems in the body and the mind can arise. Oh yeah. I think this is a big reason why a lot of people in very cold climate suffer from seasonal affective disorder. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Continue. In addition, magnetic therapy, which is also called animal magnetism, which uh-huh. sounds crazy, but it, it's actually in modern times, you have equine therapy and then dog therapy is also used quite a bit in the hospitals. Mm. The idea is that the energy from the animal will rub off on you and help you heal, Hmm. which there's a lot of, there's studies that show, especially equine, well, equine and dog therapy are both um, effective. So yeah, they have, they have a lot of um, places here that do equine therapy. I'm actually looking into it for my son. There's a place that does it here and she's supposed to be really good, but there's like a wait list, of course, but you know, anyway, how cute will that be? Right. (laughs) It'd be cute. All right. So nature therapy, Mm. obviously. And I had a thought the other day, I think that the further we get away from nature, the sicker people will continue to get. Probably. And obviously this isn't the case for everybody, as we've said before, but what I mean is this like pollution time spent indoors versus outdoors, you know, we're basically ravaging the land to make room for development. All this has an impact on our overall health. And then while researching this actually came across a term called nature deficit disorder. Think I'm suffering from that now. <laughs> oh, you know that I have struggled with the landscape over here pretty hardcore. Yeah, and because I cannot access forest on a readily available basis, I know that's hard. Yeah, it's pretty disheartening. I know it's got to be hard. It would be hard for me. Okay, what does old Yale boy say? According to this Yale scholar. Being outside has multiple positive effects on the body and mind. It lowers blood pressure and cortisol levels, reduces nervous system arousal, enhances the immune system, increases self-esteem, reduces anxiety, and improves mood. Nature is not only a nice to have, but it's a have to have for physical health and cognitive functioning. I believe it. Definitely. Um, In addition, as far as soul healing, you have shamanic journeying. Mm which also uh, is considered like bringing soul pieces back home, back to the person. Soul retrieval, yeah. Mm -hmm. You can find a shaman in your area to help you with this, or um, some people learn how to journey themselves. Mm, Yes, I love journey. Yes, me too. And shadow work as well. We've, we've talked about it in past episodes. It's very beneficial for mental, emotional, and spiritual healing. Oh, mm-hmm. our episode is apparently in the third season. It's called mm-hmm. shadow work for witches. Shameless plug. Once Shameless. <laughs> and that's all I can think of as far as healing and health promoting methods. Yeah. I, like we said before, I think the key to medicine and healing is definitely a balance between the two. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think leaning extreme one way or the other is necessarily healthy, No, uh, but I think a healthy dose of preventative measures goes a long way to reducing reactive measures. Exactly. You summed it up very well. <laughs> all righty. Do you want to wrap us up? We'd like to thank all of our listeners for joining us for another magical hour. Don't forget to join our Facebook group to discuss these topics further with other like-minded individuals. And remember, whether you're in the land of the Fae or the land of the ancestors, stay otherworldly.